Well, um, we're, we're sort of at the stage of parenting where I've started noticing myself sound like my parents. I suppose that's probably ha- what happens to everybody. But uh, we're trying to teach Fred to learn his say please and thank you. And uh, so Fred will say, Fred want toast. And uh, so I say, what do you say? And he says, please may I have a piece of toast? And I say, that's better. So we get him a piece of toast. And he was about to just launch straight into the piece of toast. And I'll say, what do you say? And he says, thank you, Daddy, for my piece of toast. Um, and uh, I'm pretty sure it's the exact same thing that happened to me when I was smaller. Now, I don't know who that, whose benefit exactly that's for. Uh, partly, I suppose, it's for my benefit. I mean, it's nice to be thanked, isn't it? Um, especially as I've gone to all the effort of putting the bread in the toaster. Um, but also, it's for his benefit, because it's good to be thankful. In fact, it's actually good for you to be thankful. A quick Google search uh, turned up this one study from Harvard University. said this, quote, In psychology research, gratitude is strongly and consistently associated with greater happiness. Gratitude helps people feel more positive emotions, relish good experiences, improve their health, deal with adversity, and build strong relationships. Um, One report from Barclay found that being thankful isn't just good for your emotional well-being, it actually improves your physical health as well, apparently. So um, in one study, the participants who were registered more gratitude... um, they reported fewer health problems such as headaches, gastrointestinal problems, respiratory infections, sleep disturbances, fewer aches and pains, and better cardiovascular health. Uh, in another study, they reported fewer physical symptoms, dizziness, stomach aches, and runny noses. Can you believe that? Being thankful. Well, I think this is a, the key, really, to understanding what's going on when Jesus encounters these ten men Uh, in Luke chapter 17. So have a look down at verse 15. This is the key to it. One One of them, only one, when he saw he was healed, came back, praising God in a loud voice. He threw himself at Jesus' feet and thanked him. So the scene is set um, at the start of the uh, reading. Jesus and his disciples, they're on the road. They're travelling, verse 11 says, along the border between Samaria and Galilee. Um, so that, in, in other words, that is between Samaria, which is uh, Gentile territory, non-Jewish territory, and Galilee, which is Jewish. So they were on their way into the village, it says. In other words, before they got to the village, still outside the village, and that's where they met these group of ten lepers. Because if you had uh, leprosy, well, you had to live outside the camp. Uh, you know, they don't want you anywhere near everyone else if you've got leprosy. Can you imagine how awful it must have been to live with the lepers outside the village? I mean, the original social distancing. Go away. You're unclean. Uh, We don't want you anywhere near us. Have you seen uh, Ben-Hur? Anyone seen the movie Ben-Hur? Yeah, a few nods. Uh, It's a heartbreaking scene, isn't it, where Ben-Hur finds out his sister and his mother are actually alive. He thought he'd been told they were dead. Um, actually, they weren't dead. They were worse than dead in one sense. They were ostracised from the rest of the community and they were living in this leper colony. And he wants to go and see them. And he's persuaded, no, 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 you can't. You can't go and be near them. And he just has to be at a distance. 
um, and observe them going in and out of this cave from, a, from a afar off. And it's absolutely heartbreaking. Well, that was these guys. Verse 12 says, they stood at a distance and called out in a loud voice. They had to shout, Jesus, have pity on us. Now, as an aside, just um, as uh, my old vicar used to say, if I may pull into a lay-by for a moment, um, it's just worth us pausing to just notice in Luke's Gospel the amount of eyewitness detail which is going on. We haven't really sort of mentioned this too much in Luke, but actually one of the things interesting about Luke is he tells us at the start of his Gospel that although he wasn't an eyewitness... Actually, when it came to writing his gospel, he spoke to people who were. So you might like to just keep a finger in chapter 17 and flick back to chapter 1. Uh, in Luke chapter 1, there's this introduction where Luke, he tells us why, how and why he wrote his gospel. And so uh, Luke chapter 1, verse 1, he says, Many have undertaken to draw up an account of the things that have been fulfilled among us. In other words, the other gospel writers, Matthew, Mark, and John. Uh, just as they were handed down to us by those who from the first were eyewitnesses and servants of the word. So with this in mind, since I myself have carefully investigated everything from the beginning, I too decided to write an orderly account for you, most excellent Theophilus, so that you may know the certainty of the things you've been taught. Now, I think that's so interesting because very often people assume, well, you can't really trust the Bible. Yeah, very often people, actually I hear people say you're not even meant to. I was in a, a um, meeting at the town hall this week to discuss plans for um, a bit of a carol sing-along. 16th of December, Friday night, we're going to have our carol service, going to be the 18th. But on the Friday night, by the Christmas tree, by the town hall, everyone is welcome to have a bit of an outdoor sing-along of Christmas carols. Anyway, somebody got us down a real rabbit hole in this um, uh, meeting by saying, oh, well, of course, the Bible, you know, uh, it's not really meant to be taken literally. Uh, the stories in the Bible, they are more of an allegory. Now, <laughs> I have to say, I, I sort of thought, well, probably it's not the time and the place to be getting into a great big theological debate. And so I just sort of kept my mouth, I just bit my tongue and didn't say anything. But you know, actually, that's not what the Bible claims. Yeah, the trouble with that idea that, oh, it's just a load of stories that we're not supposed to be taken seriously is actually... Luke says that he is a very careful historian. He says here that he's carefully carefully investigated everything from the beginning, verse 3. He's spoken to eyewitnesses. And now he's written down, not a sort of ramshackle, hodgepodge, you know, uh, account of stuff. No, he says he's written an orderly account. Which is why, go back to chapter 17, um, which is why all the way through his gospel and indeed through the other uh, gospels as well it's full of eyewitness detail look at verse 11 it doesn't it's not long long ago far far away this was a specific geographical detail if they were traveling along the border between samaria and galilee he locates it in a very real place uh, he says you know they stood at a distance verse 12 they called out in a loud voice and don't you just get the impression that actually there was somebody who was actually there who witnessed this scene, who was an eyewitness, who later recounted what took place to Luke. And Luke wrote it down, and he must have said to him, gosh, they shouted. 
You know, that was a loud voice that these guys called out in. And uh, so they called out to Jesus. Anyway, out of the lay-by. But I just think that's quite interesting. And so they cried out in a loud voice at a distance. And don't you think this must have been quite awkward? I think it's always a little bit awkward, isn't it, when people stop you in the street and ask for help. And there's not really much you can do sometimes. I haven't noticed it too much since uh, we moved to Melksham. Certainly in London, all the time, there were people just asking for, for help. And sometimes you'd offer to buy them some food, and sometimes they you know, want food. But you know, very often you sort of think, well, gosh, there's really not much you can do. And it doesn't say here, but I would be willing to bet that the disciples must have thought, you know, when they, they're on their way into a village, and you've got this group of lepers shouting at them, I bet they must have thought, oh, gosh, not lepers. You know, don't look at them. Keep your, you know, let's just keep your head down. Don't make eye contact. Keep moving. You know, we've got to get where we are trying to go. Because so often there's just very little you can actually do. But not with Jesus. There's nothing that he cannot do. And so Jesus does something. It's amazing. He, he doesn't even have to actually do anything. You know, in the Gospels, sometimes when Jesus heals people, sometimes he heals them with a word. He says, be healed. Uh, other times he heals them with a touch. Even lepers, in one or two other places in the Gospels, he heals leprosy by touching, which must have been so special for people who hadn't been used to experiencing human touch. You know, for years, maybe. But not here. Look at verse 14. When he saw them, he just said, go and show yourself to the priest, and as they went, they were cleansed. Didn't even do anything. He just said, go, off you go. And uh, that was because the law surrounding uncleanliness was quite detailed. Obviously, kind of to prevent contagious diseases spreading through a close-knit community, you know, before the invention of hand sanitizer and, you know, surgical masks and all the rest of it. Actually, you know, it was quite a serious thing to have a contagious disease. But so if your disease cleared up, what you had to do uh, was go and show yourself. The priest was the one who, uh, in a sense, was the person who would be able to pronounce whether or not you really were clean and therefore able to come back into the village or not. It was the equivalent of, you know, you've got to turn out two negative lateral flow tests before you can stop quarantining. That sort of thing. Well, you didn't have a lateral flow test. You had a priest and the priest would say whether or not you were clean. And so Jesus just says, off you go. Go and show yourself to the priests. And as they went, they were cleansed. But verse 15, one of them came back when he saw he was healed, praised God, threw himself at Jesus' feet and thanked him. And he was a Samaritan, it says. Now, we're supposed to notice that. Because Jesus then asks, verse 17, hang on, weren't all ten cleansed? Where are the other nine? Has no one returned to praise God? except this foreigner. And by saying that, he's issuing a challenge. This challenge that Jesus gives, it's pretty uncomfortable to hear, especially for Jesus' followers, who were all Jewish. So throughout the, the Gospels, there run these twin themes of salvations for everybody, no matter what your ethnicity. In fact, it's always been the case, as that reading from the Old Testament pointed out. Yeah, God's always loved everybody. He didn't only love the Jews and no one else. 
that Jews were always supposed to be there to point to the love of God for the whole world. And so when Jesus comes along, he's constantly welcoming in everybody, regardless of ethnic background. Um, But at the same time, the Jews didn't really get that. Salvation was for everybody, but the Jews didn't really get it. So as John put it um, in that famous Christmas reading that we sometimes have, he came to that which was his own. In other words, the Jewish people. He came to that which was his own, but his own did not receive him. And so there's the challenge for these guys. I mean, it doesn't, again, it doesn't spell out that the other people who were healed necessarily were Jewish, but you, presumably some of them were. And so actually, he's saying to them, well, look, you have got something to learn from this guy who you look down on racially. They didn't like the Samaritans. And Jesus is saying, well, look, this guy knows what to do. He's the one who's come back to give thanks. He came back to praise God. And he, Luke says, was a Samaritan. You know, so according to the people who were there, Samaritans weren't just racially impure. They were theological heretics as well. So to those guys watching this scene, you know, this guy was the worst of the worst. He wasn't just a leper who you don't want anything to do with. He was a Samaritan leper. I mean, he was the outcast of outcasts. And it's an amazing thing that what this says to us is Jesus welcomes everybody with open arms. There is nobody who is beyond the reach of God's love. He came to that which was his own. His own did not receive him. But to all who received him, all, regardless of race, gender, social class, whatever, to those who believe in his name, he gave the right to become children of God. Well, what's this got to do with us? I'm guessing probably none of us have got leprosy or had leprosy or been cured of leprosy. So um, is this just a nice story about Jesus' wonderful, miraculous power and his inclusivity towards everybody? Or does it have something to say to us which will help us to live a life of gratitude like this guy did? who returned. Well, I think, actually, it does, because everything in Luke's Gospel is here for a reason. He's wrote a careful, orderly account, as we've already seen, and one of the things we've mentioned a few times is that everything from chapter 9 in Luke onwards, all of it is pointing towards the cross. It's all gearing up towards... It's, it's constantly telling us that Jesus is going to Jerusalem, which is where the climax of the Gospel is the fact that Jesus died for us. And so he reminds us at the start of this in verse 11... They're on their way to Jerusalem. And so this episode points forward to what Jesus did at the cross to make us clean. You see, the problem with leprosy, the problem was it made you unclean. That's why Jesus had to meet them outside the village and these guys were at a distance. They were far off. In fact, the custom of the time was that you had to keep 50 paces buffer. They were far away because they were unclean. Well, the Bible says that although we haven't got leprosy, we've got a far bigger problem that means that we are far away because we are unclean. We haven't got leprosy, but in a sense, leprosy is only a surface-level problem, isn't it? It's only skin deep. But the Bible says that we've got a heart problem that goes right to the very depth of who we are. 
as human beings. It says that we've all of us sinned. Jesus says elsewhere that it's not what's on the surface that makes us clean or unclean. It's what comes out of our hearts that really makes us unclean. From within, from out of our hearts, come evil thoughts, sexual immorality, theft, adultery, greed, murder, malice. Jesus rattled off this rather uncomfortable list. Deceit, lewdness, envy, slander, arrogance, folly. All these evils come from within and make us unclean. And therefore, we by nature, are far from God. In fact, the prophet Isaiah said, your sin has separated you from your God. See, the leper's problem was that their uncleanness prevented them from coming close to their neighbours. But our problem is that our uncleanness prevents us from coming close to God. There's an amazing moment in, uh, when England won the World Cup in 1966. Have you seen this where um, Bobby Moore is the captain? After the final whistle goes, and uh, they head off the field, and he's got to go and collect the trophy from the Queen and shake her hand. And so up he goes up the steps, and he is getting closer and closer to entering into the presence of the Queen. And he realises he's going to shake the pristine, crisp, white glove of the queen and he is covered in mud and so you can watch this footage on youtube it's amazing he he he, he's frantically wiping his hands on his jersey he's wiping his hands on his shorts he's on the wall going up the steps as he's going up to see the because he's trying to he thinks gosh i'm about to enter into her presence and i'm unclean Well, that's a picture, in a way, of what all of us, the situation we face. Psalm 24 says, Who may ascend the hill of the Lord? He who has clean hands and a pure heart, which is none of us. None of us may enter into the presence of God, which is why no amount of hand wiping on our jersey will solve the deepest problem that we have, the problem of uncleanness, the problem of sin. And the Old Testament Jews who heard Jesus say this, they knew this perfectly well, Yes, the lepers were kept out of their presence, but they knew that they were kept out of the presence of God by a great big thick curtain, as thick as a man's hand, in the temple that basically said, keep out from the presence of God until Jesus got to Jerusalem where he became unclean. For us, where he bore our sin. When he actually, in fact, if you think about it, was taken outside the city, wasn't he? There is a green hill far away, far away, outside the city wall. It had to take place outside because there he was cast out of the presence of God and he cried out, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? He was cast out so that we might be welcomed in. He was made unclean so that we might be made clean and at that very moment that great big thick curtain tore in two from top to bottom because God himself had made a way for us to be made clean so that we may enter his presence. Isn't that amazing? Let me read from Hebrews chapter 10 which explains it perfectly. Hebrews 10 says, 
Let, therefore, brothers and sisters, since we have confidence to enter the most holy place, the holy of holies, by the blood of Jesus, by a new and living way, open for us through the curtain, that is his body. And since we have a great priest over the house of God, let us draw near to God. We couldn't draw near before because we were unclean. But now, because of what Jesus has done, we can draw near to God with a sincere heart and with full assurance of faith, having our hearts sprinkled to cleanse us from a guilty conscience and having our bodies washed with pure water. So the question is, do we feel far from God this morning? If we do, it may, need, it may be that we need, like these men, to cry out to God for mercy and for pity and for compassion so that we may be washed clean. And we can do that this morning. But if we have been forgiven and we have been made clean and we have been welcomed in, are we thankful like this guy? Only one out of ten. I think the reality is most people are not thankful. I don't know exactly what the numbers are in this country, but I think it's worse than ten to one, isn't it? of people who recognise what God has given to them and return thanks. Last weekend I was at a party. I got talking to um, a friend of a friend and our mutual friend had become a Christian uh, a couple of years ago. And so I just wanted to ask this guy what he made of the fact that he'd become a Christian. Have you noticed any change in him? What's your, what do you make of it? And he said um, that he was raised an atheist But he had to admit that watching our friend become a Christian was a positive thing. He felt like he was living a more positive life, a more thankful life. And it was so interesting. It was a bit like Augustine's prayer. He basically said that he always, the thing that he finds most compelling about Christianity was if it were true, then it would give him somebody to give thanks to. There have been so many things which he's been so grateful for in his life. It's almost as though he wanted to write a thank you note but he didn't know where to post it. I just thought that was absolutely fascinating. Well, those of us who are listening in to what took place on the border of Samaria and Galilee know exactly what to do, don't we? The same as verse 15. Praising God in a loud voice, threw himself at Jesus' feet and thanked him. Let's do the same. In fact, in a minute, we're going to share in Holy Communion. And the word for thanked here in verse 16, the original word in Greek is Eucharisto. And um, sometimes Holy Communion, we call it the Eucharist. And the reason is because actually when we celebrate the bread and wine and we remember what took place at Jerusalem, we're giving thanks for the one who became unclean so that we might be welcomed in. Let's give thanks, shall we? Let's pray.